I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today, we welcome back a good friend, my good buddy, Chris Ritter, CEO of Ritter Sports Performance and the creator of Surge Strength Dryland Certification. He's a recurring guest on our pod. He's the man. He's my. He's the guy that I lean into when I need you know expert advice when it comes to dry land training, which is becoming so important, especially in the aftermath. And I guess it's the ongoing pandemic. It's, it still hasn't ended. Uh, you can listen to our previous talks on episodes 241, 374, and 515. For those of you who aren't familiar with Chris, you need to be familiar. He's been a successful strength and dry land coach and swim coach since 2004. Uh, his focus has been on surge strength, the surge strength brand, helping swimmers and coaches from around the world raise their standard of dry land training. The goal of surge strength is pure and simple, build better athletes to generate faster swimmers. And you can learn more about their dry land programs and become, cer- and become dry land certified at surgestrength.com. Uh, okay, we've gotten all of that out of the way. People, if they don't know who you are, shame on them. But I, pre- I do appreciate you coming back, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mel. It's always good to chat with you, especially dry land training. Always important as ever. Like you said, you know, just because maybe we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel or whatever that looks like for the pandemic, dry land's still important, whether whatever's going on in the world or not. Shift our lens to when we last talked. Last mm-hmm. time I saw you face to face, we had a we had a great time at U.S. Olympic Trials. It was good. You were my only person that I socialized with. Otherwise, it was entirely work. <laughs> but you know, I I I I do like hearing from you and hearing your opinions. But we didn't really get into it too much at that time. And I, I wanted to ask you, you know, what did you see at U.S. Trials through the dry land lens? Yeah, it was really interesting. I was telling uh, my son as we're walking up, I was like, did you realize it's been it's been 13 years since I've been in this building? Because I was there at the first Olympic trials there in 08, helping with Cullen Jones, Mark Gingloff make that team as their strength coach. And thinking about the athletes I saw then on deck and now me being in the stands in 21, the stark difference of it's almost the minority now don't look like quote unquote elite athletes. Everyone looks like an amazing athlete behind the block, even in the wave one meet. It's just, it's incredible to even see that change between 13 years ago when the first time they had trials in 08 to now in 2001. And the other thing that struck me about, and not just a couple of races, but overall the strength that the swimmers had finishing their races. And I look at that through the dryland lens of, I mean, you're, you're a butterfly 200, you know, I'm sure back half finishing was an important thing for you. And I'm sure doing, you know, whether it's repeats of 25 fifties on short rest to help you finish. And what I want coaches and swimmers to understand is that's absolutely important. But if you confine it to just what you're doing in the water, if you don't give the swimmer a bigger engine, so to speak by strength, you're minimizing the effects that those sets will have. And we we coined this term reserve capacity in surge strength when we talk about it. And, and let's go into a little quick biology lesson, Mel. You know, there's different types of muscle fibers, type two and type one, and there's a bunch of subtypes 
in between. Now you're born with kind of a preset percentage. You know, you, you thank your parents for that, right? But the subtypes you can shift in training and specifically the type two fibers, type two X, which is the most fast twitch quick one. That is the lowest level of endurance and mitochondria density. And for finishing your race, that's what you need, right? You need more of that. Strength training actually allows you to move the subtypes to being type two X to type two A. And that increases mitochondria density and endurance, I think swim coaches and swimmers would all agree, we want more of that. But the key is strength training is what unlocks those changes. You could train all day in the pool and it's not going to change the biology inside a swimmer. And if it does, it's going to be very minimal. And that's where strength training allows the box to be extended. And then when you do sets like those repeat 25s and 50s for the finishing speed, you have so much more capacity to improve. And I, that just stood out to me race after race is seeing how strong swimmers are coming through. And when you connect it with how they're looking on deck, it just starts to make more sense. Selfishly, I have to ask this question. Yes. Because I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have the benefit of surge strength when I was swimming. It was, you know, I was decades ahead of you and, and, I, and I'm an older guy now running a, a media company, but the, uh, but back when I was swimming, my coach, I, I did an enormous amount of butterfly and mm -hmm. I, had, I had great finishing speed in the 200. And it was his opinion that what I was doing on deck and dry land with my core strength benefited me more than, than, than doing all this distance fly that I did and all this pace work fly that I did. Mm. Because that started at, I, he was my high school coach in a college, but that started my junior year in high school. And it didn't change too much. The repeats, I just got faster and I was more consistent. Yeah. Uh, but it, when we got to college, the core strength and the dry land work got very intense. And by, the, yeah. by, my, by my sophomore, junior year, I started doing double the core work. And he's like, your core is so strong, you're holding your body position. He goes, mm -hmm. really the core work. No, it's funny you mentioned that, Matt. We've had... Uh, what we refer to in the surge strength drive certification of building swimmers natural super suits, right? And we saw all the records break in that 2008 to 2010, 11 range with the super suits. And part of that was not only the buoyancy, but it gave you basically an artificially stronger core. So absolutely, that's a, a key thing in the dry land training. And unfortunately, some coaches and swimmers still just think core training is just a bunch of sit-ups, but you need to think about it in a 3D and the different positions, which would be prone, supine, and vertical, doing those. And then more importantly, matching the level of intensity for the athlete. So you've got to think about, you know, the swimmers doing their, their bridges, right, on deck all the time. And well, if you're trying to get them to hold it for minutes on end, but they don't have the core strength, it's just going to end up irritating their shoulders more. And that's where it actually causes more harm than good. So for a coach and athlete to identify what level of intensity or exercise is most appropriate. That's where you really get the best return on your investment in dry land, whether it's core training. And then I would say, like we were talking about with the reserve capacity, that's a more global sense of if an athlete is just stronger overall, 
everything you're doing in the water is then going to be magnified because you have a bigger room to improve it. Um, and one in particular, Mel, it, it, two examples actually about this closing speed thing, because it just, it struck me just to see it in person too. It's, it's similar to, you know, any other sport you watch, football, basketball, it's different being there and seeing it versus watching it on TV. And that's what struck me watching the Olympic swimming is it, it just wasn't grabbing me as much as when I was in Omaha. Obviously I'm engaged, I'm excited about it, but the strength and power, and especially Tori Husk is second 50 on that hundred fly. I mean, she came home now in 30.01. Sarah Stroystrom is the only other person that I can find that has been faster than that on the back half. And she was 29.6 and set the world record. And, you know, I'm sure Tori's going to be improving on her times. I'm sure she's lost this point on what she ended up going in the Olympics, not being on the stand, but I have no doubt that strength training played a role. And I doing the little research, I went back to an article you guys had on her in 2019 when she went 57-4 at US Open. And she talked about, yeah, I realized all the girls around me were stronger. So I needed to start strength training and look at what she progressed in two years, 57-4 in 19 to 55-6 in 21, American record. And then I think probably the swim of the Olympics that if it's not getting enough attention, it needs to get more. Bobby Fink's last 50 of that 1500. <laughs> for those that haven't dug in for the splits, 29-4, And he only beats second place by 1.01. So if he doesn't have that amazing 50, he's not a two-time Olympic gold medalist there. And I think that's where you can start to actually see the strength training, you know, knowing Anthony, knowing Steve down there at UF, they value the strength training and the dry land program. And you're seeing it there from the distance swimmers all the way to the sprinters. So I'm, I'm glad the conversations moved past is lifting just for sprinters. And I would almost make the argument now lifting is more beneficial for distance swimmers because of that closing speed. And we talked about increasing the reserve capacity and moving it in terms of this type two X to the type two a on the muscle fiber types. It's a big debate about, you know, how fast would Bobby Fink go if, if he had, you know, if he had, if he had given us some of that, some of that go-go <laughs> juice earlier in the mile. And, you know, <laughs> it, it, the short answer is when you're, when you're at the world championship or Olympic level and you're swimming the mile, you pace with everybody and oh, yeah. rely on that on that surge. The funny thing is, we interviewed him and said, "What's your fastest 50? And his fastest fifty from a dive wasn't much faster. I know <laughs> it was like it was like a twenty-five one or something. It was something really slow. He's like, you can just turn it on. So that I mean, that, that's that's uh, but that but to go that fast at the end of a mile shows an extraordinary power, and mm -hmm. power matters whether it's a 200 fly, 400 IM or mile. So you're, you're, yes, everybody needs this. Everyone needs surge strength, Chris. Well, and that's Mel, you, the way you phrase that power. And that's what I hear coaches and swimmers talk a lot. I want more power. And they're, I understand that they're thinking about the end result, but I hope they realize that power is built on your base of strength. So if you can only do two pull-ups, your power is going to be limited. There's only so much we can do, but if we get you to 20 or so pull-ups, now we have so much more room to develop that power. So I appreciate that I'm hearing more of coaches and swimmers thinking about power in their swimming, but it's just making sure they know how to actually get there from the standpoint of what are the principles of strength and conditioning, and then how do we apply it specifically to a unique sport like swimming? You're a strength evangelist. 
and it's your business. <laughs> it's what you do. You're great at it. Search Strength has been hosting free webinars. You know, what topics have you been covering and, and you know, what's the feedback you've been getting? Yeah, so we've been hosting a lot of them throughout the summer. And if you've been missing out, you need to be subscribed to our newsletter, following us on Instagram. You know, every now and then we'll put a post on some sort of advertising them. But the big picture we thought going into this season, because talking to coaches, I felt like it was a little bit of last season was just get through it, whatever it looks like, right? If we're in, out of the water. And I'm seeing a lot of coaches think, all right, now is going to be a little bit more of a normal season, whatever that looks like in terms of them understanding what the facilities are going to be, their schedule and stuff like that. So we went the 30,000 foot view. What kind of systematic approach do you need to take in dry land training? What needs to be tweaked? What do you need to look into more? And it's similar to like how you plan a swimming season. You're not going to run back the same thing. You're not just going to copy paste all the workouts you did the last year, but you are going to evaluate what worked, what didn't, what do we need to change a little bit? And by doing that, you need some type of system. And I think most coaches are really comfortable with doing that in the water around their training sets and how they're going through volume and intensity and things like that. But in dry land, a lot of them are lacking a system to kind of back into and see, well, what worked, what didn't. And I think the easiest place to start, and we go through this when you become dryland certified, is what are some basic movement assessments that you can do with your swimmers and performance tests? And I think both of those are equally important. How well does the swimmer move? How mobile is their shoulder joint? And then on the performance side, how many pull-ups can they do? Can they pass the bridge combo test to see what their core strength is? So even if coaches just started to implement that, even once a season, it'll take you 30 minutes to run your kids through. You at least have some data points to see, are we getting better on land? And then you're going to see the results in the water on that. You know, you, um, you're, you're gracious with, with your knowledge and you're, I, I know that, that, that there's different business models and, and part of it is, is that you, you do provide a lot, you provide a lot at no cost, but uh, those free webinars are, that's just time. That's just invest your time. The, uh, I remember when you launched the Surge Strength brand, you were building your online academy. And that was not only going to host the Dryland certification, we were also going to give the free Dryland 101 courses. How's that going? Yeah, it's it's been crazy to think about, Mel. Basically, 18 months ago when shutdown happened, you know, we had obviously been doing the dryland programs online with swimmers and coaches. We're, we're going on our 12th year now at Ritter being a company, which is crazy to think about. So it's not like we were new to the game, but we were doing a lot of different things. We were spread out in a lot of different areas. And frankly, the, the shutdown was kind of a wake-up call of, we need to go all in on this because I could see the need from coaches and swimmers when they're out of the water for weeks or months on end. And so we had some scattered resources. We had done some things, but this helped us to be very systematized and central, You know, creating a whole new website. And we have not put more energy and resource and time into anything than the Surge Strength Academy. The last time I checked a few months ago, man, we had over a thousand people enrolled from all across the country. That's coaches, swimmers, parents, and whether they're taking the free Dryland 101 courses, which is anything from how to write workouts, how do I build pull-up strength? If I can do zero pull-ups, or maybe you're at 10, how do you improve that? You mentioned core training. We have a free course on how to do core training correctly for swimmers to improve their body position. And then of course we have kind of the gold standard and the feedback is proving it out the dry land certification, 
becoming SSDC and coaches. Now we're, we're numbering, I think it's uh, almost in the thirties or forties of countries that are represented that have at least one coach certified in there. So it's not just in the States. I mean, everybody's dealing with this pandemic in terms of different ways that it's limiting your water time. But I think a good thing is it showed coaches how well you can still improve without water time. And then getting the resources in the Surge Strength Academy, whether it's you know the free one-on-ones or if you want to take it to the next level and get certified. But it's been humbling for us to see on our end and hearing the feedback from coaches and swimmers all over the world. And bottom line, we just want to help people get better. And like you said, we're trying to do as much free stuff and put out there as possible. I know budgets are tight sometimes. And so look, if you can't become certified, there's plenty of other resources that we are providing at no cost for you to get in and get some knowledge on that. Being certified is good, though. I mean, uh, when when parent run boards or or you know organizations look to hire you, they they want to know that you have this in your in your in your resume. Uh, but it, mm-hmm. it just every time I talk to you, I always wonder how many coaches, how many swimming coaches are out there. They've got a team, and it's somewhere between two hundred. You know, it could be anywhere from a hundred to three hundred fifty swimmers. Not huge. I always wonder. Are they just recycling that same dry land training they did a generation ago? Like how often do you witness that? <laughs> which was recycled, which was recycled from their coach 20 years before them. Right. And I think that goes to the bigger picture of what type of coach are you? Because I see the same thing in the water training, right? I remember experiencing that as a young coach trying to learn and figure out and asking why. And I think. I think at the heart, most coaches really do want to improve. And I don't think they're, they're just stuck in, Hey, let's run it back. I think Mel, they just get so busy. So overwhelmed. I can't even imagine being a coach this last year, all the different changes you had to deal with. So I don't want to be shaming anyone. I get it. It's tough. And so that's why we try to make it just so simple. Hey, you got 10 minutes, go in and watch this video on core training in the Academy. But I understand most coaches want to get better. I think it's, they don't know how, what's the best way. And I think a lot of them just default to let's scroll through Instagram. Let's go down YouTube rabbit holes. And then they get pieces of it. They get pieces of it and there's no system. So then when they get to the end of the season, how can you evaluate if you have no systematic approach with your dry land training and dry land can be such the small hinge that swings the big door to improvement for swimmers, but you have to understand how are you approaching it? What do you need to tweak and make sure you're meeting your athletes where they're at that we talk about the levels being a huge concept that you come out of being a surge strength drown certified is understanding in a group of 20 athletes, there's at least two distinct levels there. You're probably going to have an upper and a lower class of levels. And the bigger your group, the more variations you're going to have. So if you treat the swimmer that can't do any pull-up, the same way you treat a swimmer that can do 20 pull-ups, no problem. You're asking for either an injury for the weaker swimmer or the more advanced swimmer is going to be bored and talk about disengaged. And that's what a lot of coaches talk about with their dryland is my kids aren't engaged enough. They're not taking it seriously. Well, you need to look at yourself as the coach. Are you challenging them at the appropriate level? And are the kids seeing, oh, here's, here's the program. This is what we're doing. I'm seeing the improvements because kids are smart. They're going to pick up if you're just winging it and picking some cards out of a hat and say, all right, guys, we got 15 minutes to burn before we get in the water and actually do training. And so I think it comes back on the coaches of being able to make sure they're going through it systematically and then just finding resources that they can implement and not just relying on social media scroll time to improve their dry land program. 
You know, when we look back on, on this period of time, the pandemic, the, the first one in 100 years, when we look back on this in swimming history, we're going to look back on this moment when dry land training really, it, uh, when it started to matter to everyone or everyone was in fear because they knew they weren't prepared and they knew that their skill set was, was lacking. So you, we're, we've, you know, we're now a year and a half into this. And uh, I know that you've been working with individual swimmers, swim teams, and you've gotten them started with the Surge Strength Dry Land Training Program. You know, wh what have you witnessed during this cycle that's been so dramatic when, when dry land, you know, when it was so necessary? Because it was yeah. the only option. Right, right. No, 18 months ago, we had a huge, no pun intended, surge of teams and individuals coming to us and getting started. But then at the same time, too, even six, three months ago, we would have teams or individual swimmers coming where you could tell they were doing their best the last year or so. And I think they basically exhausted all of their knowledge or realized this is a lot of work because I don't have a system. And so as a coach, if you're trying to juggle workouts, figuring out schedules, how's the budget looking, dryland is not going to be the top of your priority list. And I get it, right? but it's so important for the success of it. And I think that's where even a few months ago, us onboarding teams who they made it through, you know, what, whatever you want to term the heart of the pandemic or the shutdown, whatever, but now they realized, okay, this isn't sustainable for us. And we actually need a system to help us. And the even cooler thing now has been now that we've had the certification, we'll have coaches become certified. So they're SSDC, but we're still providing the programs because now it allows us to have a conversation at a higher level because they can see what we're doing. And as coaches, they're always going to appreciate learning more and understanding, oh, I see why you changed the workout, or I see why we're doing a strength power phase now, as opposed to a strength phase and how that lines up better for our taper. And so it actually makes us be able to communicate better to them and get better results. So I, I never actually thought that they would go together as well as they have, but coaches getting certified and then getting programs from us has even raised the level of effectiveness that we've been able to see, which is a, a cool byproduct of that. You know, what's interesting is that it's uh, having this, having this dry land certification and this knowledge would have, would have, it would have been so much more powerful for, for the, for the coaches. Because mm -hmm. it seems as though every, anyone who ever had a medal or, or represented the United States at the Olympic Games, they were every time I talked to a peer, they were on some Zoom call with athletes. So, and it was cool in the beginning, but by by the time we by the time we got six months into it, a year into it, they'd be like, "Hey, here comes Mel Stewart," and and it's <laughs> like the swimmers were just you know they were like they they had they you know they had seen a dozen Olympians already. But the coaches were doing anything to get the athletes, athletes engaged. It seems like every time we would finish our talk, then they would say, okay, guys, you know, get out your towel, get out your mat, and mm -hmm. they would start their dry land. And um, that wears thin when you're doing the same thing over and over and over. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And if you're not seeing – I wouldn't say, Mel, I wouldn't classify it as doing the same thing over and over because honestly, in programs, we will do that sometimes when it's appropriate. I think it's more, are you seeing progression? Are you seeing improvement? Because a lot of times, most coaches are dealing with very beginner level athletes. And the worst mistake you can make is literally the let's pull out a card and see what our next set is going to be. You know, the completely random, more entertainer 
approach for a coach doing dry land, as opposed to, hey, here are four exercises we're going to repeat, and you're going to be able to see progression in your ability to do it, in your intensity to do it, whether it's technique. And then the swimmers, same thing, you know, when you're going an interval from 110 to 105 to one minute, you're still swimming up and down the pool. But as a swimmer, you're going to see progression and you're going to get more excited about that. So I would actually generalize most of our programs as they're not the most exciting things, but guess what? They get results. And when it's more simple, that's the approach you need to take a lot of times with these beginner athletes is a more simple, consistent approach. But again, if you don't have a system that you are following, then it is goes back to let's pull out something for the hat and go more to the entertaining role, you know, and just, all right, guys, let's just have fun for 15 minutes in dry land. And you're sacrificing the kids entertainment and kind of engagement for actual results because the kids are going to buy in more and more. You think, you know, like with Tori, you think her seeing a two second drop in two years, doesn't excite her to do more strength training. I think any kid, if they can hold a bridge now for one minute, when they only could hold it for 30 seconds before, they're going to get excited about that and own it even more. And I think that's the end goal for us when, and a lot of kids, we're dealing with athletes that are under 18 and, and kids from all over the world that we work with. And when we, when we onboard them, we talk with the parents about, hey, this is a, a three partnership here. So we have our dryland coach, we got the swimmer and we got the parent and making sure we're all on the same page of this is a long-term process. This is not a, a three-month special thing where we're just going to have lifetime best in three months. But if you stick with us year after year, you're going to look back in a year or two and not even recognize the ability that you had back then and, and think, wow, I'm doing 20 pull-ups. I couldn't even do two or three, you know, a year or two ago. A lot of coaches listen to the podcast and we love it. And we, we love it because they give us feedback. They're adults in the room. They, they come for deeper knowledge. Um, so guys, you, you need to be listening now. The open enrollment to become Surge Strength Dryland certified only happens a few times a year. So Chris, why is now the best time for coaches to become Surge Strength Dryland certified? Well, like you said, Mel, we only open it a few times a year. So we did it in the spring. We're doing it in the fall. And we're trying our best to go in the cyclical nature of the swim season. So this is the time of year. Most swim coaches are putting down pen to paper. You're doing it on Excel. However, you're planning out your season plan in the water. Now's a great time to do dry land in tandem because that's the only way you're really going to get results is when you can match and complement the dry land and the swim training. And the other thing, Mel, you guys keep having these swim jobs, you know, pop up. You're now over at 3000 as if you're a coach and you're cruising through that job board, trying to figure out, Hey, I want something else or whatever it is having SSDC on your resume and being able to go to whoever is interviewing and say, Hey, I know dryland is probably important for your program. I can be the cornerstone coach for you because I'm surge strength dryland certified. You think that's not going to get you to the top of the list and open up some more doors, especially I think for almost every college assistant coach, it's almost the default. You're running dryland. <laughs> the head coach is not usually in charge of dryland and in club the same way. If you're the assistant coach, you're probably, you know, for lack of a better term, getting stuck with dryland. And so if you can come in and say, I have a systematic approach. Whatever you're doing right now, we can either make it better or completely overhaul it. I, I think that's going to get your name at the top of the list on the resumes. And in terms of us personally, we're looking to hire more 
Dryland certified coaches. So if you're wanting to work with us, uh, we're onboarding more teams and individuals all the time, but you got to be SSDC. So there's only a few times a year for it to happen. I would encourage you to do it now. It's going to go through September 14th, and then we're going to close the doors till the spring of 2022. So you're going to miss out on the whole short course season. And at this point, I don't think many swimmers want to be giving up on any seasons. I think they're trying to get as much as they can out of it with that. Uh, one, one story quickly, Mel, on that. I think about a coach, Anne. She's down in your neck of the woods in Texas. She's an age group coach. And last summer, they were just in and out of the water. I just felt so bad for her when she was telling me the story about basically in the water for a week, out of the water for two weeks, back and forth, back and forth. And she's coaching the 10 and unders. And she went through, she became SSDC. She's doing the Zoom dryland. That's all she can do at that point. And honestly, she and the other coaches were kind of frustrated with, and who wouldn't be, right? Getting yanked around in and out of the pool time. And you're thinking, how do you get 10-year-olds better when they're in the water for a week, out, and you got Zoom drawings? She went through the systematic approach that we have for core training. She's like, you know what? I'm just going to focus on this. I'm going to keep it simple. I'm not going to overcomplicate things. Two weeks out of the water, they go back in their body lines were the best they'd ever seen. They're like, they didn't even recognize the kids. They're like, what is going on here? And going back to how we started the conversation about the core training and body position, whether you're coaching the 10 and unders or someone at the ISL or going for the Olympics, that is going to be an important factor. And when you have a system you can follow, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Coaches, swimmers, listen up. If you want to learn more about becoming Dryland certified. We're getting started with Surge Strength Dryland program. Go to surgestrength.com. That is surgestrength.com. And remember, open enrollment uh, is here to become Surge Strength Dryland certified. That that closes Tuesday evening, September 14th. So don't miss this chance to raise the standard of your dryland training. You can learn more about becoming Surge Strength Dryland certified at surgestrength.com slash certification. Surgestrength.com slash certification. Uh, I, I just want to end our conversation by saying this, you know, you talked about the young athletes and that you witnessed at Olympic trials and you noticed that they were showing up behind the blocks with more strength. And I think that if we're being honest, the uh, two things happened to trials. It's that, that extra year because of the pandemic, we, the younger athletes benefited. I wonder if these younger athletes benefited because they're, you know, they were, they were ready to adopt more dry land training. Whereas mm. if you're an older mm -hmm. professional, you've, you've done something, you're in the same, you're doing the same thing over and over. I wonder if these young kids adapted faster and it's, uh, but yes, they seem like, I, I don't remember young rising talent looking as fit as they did. It was, it was pretty extraordinary. Right. They used to look like swimmers, Mel, right? And now you wouldn't be able to guess what sport these athletes are competing in. You, If, if there's no pool, you may think it's, I don't know, is this soccer, basketball, football, whatever the case may be. And I just remember distinctly, as I was growing through the sport, there was definitely a distinctive swimmer look. Oh, there's the swimmer, the clumsy one over there, right? Tripping over themselves or, or can't do the coordination. And that's just no longer the case. So make sure you have some type of system for dryland training. I think we're past the point of arguing for dryland. Now it's more a matter of, do you actually have a system for your dryland training? You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. 
You can take Swim Swim Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.